Welcome to the Wagging Tails podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine. Canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. Welcome to this episode of the Wagging Tails podcast. Just to introduce Noble Canine's new partnership with ZumVet, we're going to be bringing behavioural consultations online to our listeners, along with what ZumVet does with their veterinary care. So, to celebrate this, we've got Dr. Grace with us from ZumVet, and we are going to be talking about the reality of online pet care. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, I'm Grace, one of the co-founders of ZumVet. Maybe to just clarify before we get any further, uh, Fraser mentioned that I'm Dr. Grace. Uh, Wanted to put it out there that I'm not a veterinarian, but a medical doctor. Um, however, I'm here at ZoomVet because animals are one of my passions. I am also a pet parent and selfishly, I think this is one of the things that, that I wanted to be able to affect change in. So the big question now, is online treatment for pets truly effective? Now before we go on, I just want to be clear that the answer is not just so black and white. And you might be astonished at how much can actually be achieved using online consultations. However, in this episode, what we're wanting to do is dive a little bit deeper into what can be addressed, and we'll also talk about some of the limitations, because obviously we need people to understand that you can't just wave a magic wand and fix a lot of the issues that you might be seeing where we can't. So, just to give people a little bit more of a background, Can we get a little bit of a background on ZumVet? Because most of the people listening probably have known a little bit of a background of Noble Canine, but they'll not have heard about ZumVet yet. Cool, yeah, sure. So ZumVet is an online veterinary platform. One of the first few services we launched with was video consultations. So I think um, this really stems from the fact that um, pet owners do need to get access to veterinary care. But I think life, more often than not, gets in the way. So, you know, you can't tell your boss that your dog isn't looking that great that morning and take medical leave. That somehow just does not fly as well as seeing your kid sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you have to go to work and the only time that you realize that your pet might not be looking so great is at the end of the day, 9 p.m., most clinics are closed. And so really with ZoomVet, when we started, we wanted to bridge this, um, this gap between pet owners and veterinary advice and whether or not we could maybe offer an alternative method that will allow pet owners greater flexibility to accessing this care. So that's always been, I guess, the cornerstone of how we've um, developed the services um, in ZoomVet. It's really using a digital touch point as a innovative, creative way of sort of delivering this care, which is where, you know, which brings us to now uh, and why we are working with Novo Canine as well um, to bring their services online um, I don't think that, um, you know, an online modality is the only modality by which you can deliver care. But I think there are definite benefits, um, convenience being one of the yeah. biggest ones, right? And, and I think it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to commit to, you know, turning on your laptop once a week, same time every day, uh, same time every week, just to speak to somebody as opposed to maybe bringing your dog down to a physical location mm-hmm. just to meet up with your trainer, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which makes a lot of sense because we've had clients before that even though we go down like for, for initial consultation, that the dog is so reactive that we can't really do anything about it unless they, they maybe put the dog behind a fence or, or put it in another room while we talk to the owners about what's happening and what we should do moving forward. Yeah, I mean, there's been some cases where I've turned up to the initial consultation and they've understated how reactive the dog actually is. So what I've done is said, okay, tell you what, we'll continue this with an online session so that we can actually see the dog's behavior. Because if the dog's terrified, 
they're not going to show their normal behavior within their home environment. Yeah, that's actually weirdly um, similar in veterinary medicine as well. Mm. So we've actually had a lot of cases whereby, you know, if you bring your pet down to the clinic, they're so nervous that they don't really act their normal self. And it's sometimes a little bit difficult for the veterinarian, really, even, you know, with the animal in front of them to do proper examination. So I, I have friends where their cats purr when they're nervous. And there's, you can't hear anything <laughs> if your pet is purring like a machine. Whereas online, sometimes they, they're a bit more relaxed, it's a little bit easier for you know, the vet to actually assess what the pet is like in its you know, normal environment. Yeah. And, yeah. and some dogs are already very afraid of going to the vet. Mm. Yeah, they, yeah. they won't know that you're on a Zoom call with, with your vet, <laughs> so they'll just be as, as normal as they can be. Oh, saying that, a lot of my clients that were once in person that are now online, mm. Every time we have the video call, the dog recognizes my voice <laughs> and will come to the screen. So a nice, a nice example of that is actually um, Rondo, who they moved over to the States. Rondo started off being super skittish of me and then over time he kind of warmed up and then did quite well. And then they, then they moved over to the States. And every time they watch one of our videos, anytime they listen to this podcast, yeah. in fact, Rondo, hey buddy. <laughs> so I'm hoping that he'll freaked out just from doing that. So it's uh, it's quite nice when you can actually communicate even to the dogs through that medium, because I can still talk to some of the clients that have moved overseas using that same medium, as well as new clients that might need that. From overseas, yeah. From overseas or with situations which are best addressed remotely. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty important. And of course, it was really handy during the lockdowns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So hopefully, touch wood, that's never going to happen again. But if it does, at least people still have access to veterinary care and behavioural training and nutrition. Because of course, you've also got that connection with uh, Dr. Francis at Pet yeah. Cubes. So he's going to be doing this, a similar situation where people can get nutritional consultations through the same system, which is absolutely fantastic. Because we also need that from our side yeah. as well. Yeah. Nutrition and behavior is very closely related. Yeah. As we've talked about in one of our previous episodes. Check them out. <laughs> yeah. So one of the big questions that I had when we started talking mm -hmm. was, how's the process going to go for this? Because the way that we do it ourselves at the moment is it's predominantly through in-person mm -hmm. and then our online stuff kind of happened organically because people were moving overseas and then we just started picking that up that way. But what we are talking about here is people actually being able to have initial contact straight off the bat from online. So let's just talk a little bit about how that process is going to look. Sure. I mean, um, I would say that the process coming into doing a behavioral consult with Noble Canine or even a regular video call with a veterinarian would be fairly similar. So typically you'd come in online, uh, you can log in through our website or through or download our mobile app and you can make a booking. Uh, you do the usual things like select which timing is, is suitable, etc. I think the most important part of this particular process though uh, is when we have the clients indicate what the issues are. So in a video consult with a vet, uh, we might ask the pet owner what the symptoms are, what the problems are, and this is super important for our team to flag up cases that are not suitable. So you'd be surprised that some people who do try and call us when a cat's fallen out of the window <laughs> or a dog's been in a traumatic situation like car accident trauma whereby not suitable at all. Yeah. And in those cases, our staff will usually give them a call and tell them that, no, we're cancelling this, please go down to the clinic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I think in the case of um, Noble Canine, you guys actually have a very comprehensive intake form that allows you to better understand the pet's issues. Yeah. Um, you know, structure of the family, whether they're kids, you know, what triggers the pet, what concerns the pet owners have. And I guess that would also be a very important part in you guys, you know, how you formulate, how you want to sort of handle the session. So that usually is where um, we gather information that would be crucial for the online interaction. The actual on online interaction is fairly straightforward. And, you know, you log into the app, you click on the video consult, 
try and turn up on time so you don't miss your booking. <laughs> Um, saying that because we were late today. No, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you just chat, right? Um, we we have a couple of different things that are helpful for the the clients as well as the service providers. Um, so in addition to video, you can also do things like send messages, etc. That helps. Um, and and I think that's really the same as any sort of video video call experience that you probably have. Um, I think what's special about our system is what happens after the consultation. So everything is all stored within the app. Um, our service providers usually would upload a consult summary. So I think um, one thing that uh, I've noticed in healthcare, in medical care, uh, when I used to see clients and patients, is that you know you might tell a patient ten things, and they really only walk away yeah. with three things, yeah. and and that's just normal. Yeah, um, they might be too anxious, they might be nervous, they might be very excited, they might be concerned, and and I think you know not being able to retain everything that's been you know told to you in an encounter uh, is, is an indication that you know not a great parent. That's not an indication at all. Mm -hmm. So I think this um, consult summary is super, super important. It also allows you know the healthcare providers, service providers to really highlight to pet owners what their key takeaways should be. So what do I think your pet's issues are? I think that's sometimes something that's also often miscommunicated. And then the next most important thing would be what do I then think the next step should be, mm -hmm. you know? And I think sometimes having it down black and white right in front of you so that you can actually refer to it as many times as you like, it's very, very helpful to reinforce and also help the pet owners um, to ensure that they follow through with whatever recommendations the service provider has given to them. Um, yeah, so I think that really is the experience that the pet owner would have. Mm -hmm. And of course, if the service provider chooses to recommend any additional things, so whether it's maybe a supplement or maybe you, they, you know, in, in the case of noble canine, maybe you feel like an adaptil, so something to help calm the pet is helpful, mm -hmm. right? Those things can also be recommended. And um, because we're an online platform, we've also integrated the process for pet owners to make purchases. So all these recommendations that um, have a link to um, our inventory would be pushed to the clients uh, in the form of a recommended list of products or you know, services to purchase. Um, clients can make purchase online, uh, and all these things will be delivered to their homes. And and so, yeah, I, I think um, this is, in short, I guess, the journey uh, from booking to when they receive, you know, things that are sent to the house. Same day delivery? Yeah. So, um, we do same day. I think that's actually a very, very important part. Better than Shopee. Shopee. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, there's no point if you speak to, you know, a, a vet who says, yeah, you know, I think antibiotics are key. And you're like, all right, so it's going to arrive in your home in the next three days. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a sense of urgency, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah, there's a sense of urgency. The shit I order off Shopee now. <laughs> it's not that important. <laughs> but yeah, usually if um, they, they make payment before, I believe, 6 p.m., we'll sit, send it to their home um, same day. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean... Where I think this is so such a good way of doing this is the the fact that they've got the notes on the app. So something that we've always done is we've got notes after every session so people can refer to it. And we also encourage people to stay in communication as well. But with this, it means that it's already there. Mm. The only thing that's probably going to differ between online veterinary care or online uh, nutritional advice is that you guys will be able to upload a lot of information via the text. However, as much as we would be giving procedures for exercises and training elements and uh, enrichment sort of aspects as well, nothing is better for that than a demonstration. Mm. So one thing that we do is not only while we're on the call will we be able to show you with one of our dogs probably mm -hmm. on camera so that you can ask questions in real time, but we also will be providing uh, materials such as videos, the procedures, things like that, so that it, it makes the understanding and the execution of the exercise so much easier. And then for follow-ups, people can actually record themselves doing these exercises and upload it with their form mm -hmm. so that we're then able to be more prepared and move forward with greater progress rather than just spending the whole session talking about what's been done. And I think that's probably the only main element which will be different. Yeah. So I actually think it's a great system, it's a great way of doing this. Obviously 
with the correct aspects of what we're dealing with. So what we'll move on to now is looking at different pet health and behavioural issues online versus in person. So what we're going to be doing here is we're really going to be talking about behavioural issues which may have a medical background. And one of the reasons we're doing this is to highlight that when you come to the vet, what you're reporting as a medical aspect may not be. It may be a behavioural issue. It may be a nutritional issue. You don't go to your GP and ask them how to make a healthy smoothie because most of them don't know. And you don't go to your psychiatrist and ask them about your broken arm. So it's the same for our dogs. So this is why we're structuring it this way. So Jay, because I'm doing the hosting, mm -hmm. I'd like you to start off with the behavioral aspect so that people don't get even more bored of the sound <laughs> of my voice. But the yeah. first scenario is this. You've got a three-year-old chihuahua and the dog has been peeing and leaving themselves in the house. The dog was once house trained. So, Jay, talk about this from a behavioural standpoint. What are the potential behavioural problems here? So, one thing that um, I always talk to my clients about when they have pee pad training, I'm um, sorry, um, toileting issues around the house is that it's your dog being overstressed over the past few days. So, one thing we, we call is the stress bucket. We call it the stress bucket. So there's always a small basal level of stress inside this bucket. When things happen that affect your dog, whether it's positive or negative, positive would be things like you get into very high energy play with your dog, you play tug of war or you go running with your dog or you suddenly break out a lot of treats for your dog. That adds stress into the bucket. That's the positive part of it. The negative stress is things that's mostly out of your control, I would say. Things like, oh, maybe your dog has thunderphobia and it started raining really heavily, like it did today. So, or you're on a walk and then some really large truck drives by and blaring its horn. Mm. So that adds stress as well. So when there's too much stress added into this bucket, it overflows. And then when it overflows, that's when your dog starts to act out of its normal behavior. They might do things that you don't normally see. So when things like that happen, we usually ask our clients to look back at like the past at least three days and then notice whether your, your dog is actually built up on a lot of stress. If they are, then we would ask them to do a lot more like calming exercises, de-stressing exercises, things to bring your dog back down to a base level of stress whereby they can function normally again. The difficult part about this is to be consistent with this because you might bring your dog's stress level down initially and then they might seem okay for a day but if you just stop it right there, their stress will just go straight back up. It, it's, it's more about just, yeah, like I said, maintaining consistency. If you can do that, that would be really good for your dog. So once um, your dog is at a lower level of stress, then you can start to perform different kind of training exercises with them. So you can start to do positive pairing with things that actually add stress to your dog. So like I said, if it's thunderphobia or it's like the sound of vehicles or, the actual, uh, or an actual vehicle, you can start to do positive pairing so it doesn't overflow their stress bucket so easily. So that's all very true and very good from a behavioural point. But that's all talking about more negative behavioural aspects. Um, and although the other behavioural aspects that I'm going to touch on here, we as humans might not see it as something that's good but it's more from an overexcitement aspect or an uh, aging process and things like that. So you've got aspects like um, submissive urination or excited urination. This is very, very common in younger dogs. And normally, if you've potty trained them properly, even though that submissive urination continues to happen, it will generally stop at around about the one year to 18 month mark. So that's something I always ask people not to stress too much about. It's only a little bit of pee and none of my friends get so excited that they pee when I see them. So it's nice that somebody does. And if it's my dog, that's just great. So that's a real aspect of it. Um, the other thing you've got is marking old age, changes in your environment, things like that. 
All of these are things that might not be something you can help. Um, and it might not be an aspect of just filling that bucket. It's not necessarily that the stress hormone buildup is happening so quickly. If it's something along the lines of old age, where they might be feeling stiffer, they might be having less energy and things like that, it can increase that stress level and happen the same way that they end up becoming overwhelmed. Um, and then the last thing that I do feel is needed to be highlighted, and this is less behavioural and more from a training aspect, incomplete house training. The number of people that complain about their dog urinating in the house who have half-assed the training is unbelievable. And a lot of the time they try to blame the dog for a behavioural aspect, which is also incorrect, because if there's a behavioural aspect, it's something that you as a guardian can work on. But it's generally because they've not put in the effort. So I do always encourage people to be aware of that and make sure that they're putting in the work. But that's all from a behavioural standpoint. What we want to hear now is when somebody comes to us and they have spoken about this and we've gone through and exhausted the possibilities and none of them are coming out as the possibility and we send them to you guys at Zumvet for a referral, what are you guys looking out for and how would you help solve that from an online platform? Yeah, so I mean... Maybe one thing I also wanted to add to this conversation is the fact that uh, you'd be surprised how important inappropriate urination is as an issue. I think one thing that we we were you know horrified to find out is that you know the number of people one of the number one reasons why people choose to give up dogs after they may have purchased or adopted them is actually inappropriate urination, oh, okay. you know. And um, it's also funny. I think before we've, we started working with you guys, we actually do get behavioral type questions comes through video consults, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not our vets are super well equipped um, to handle it is another thing. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's just very exciting because for some of these problems that come in, it's, it's not a, a pure training issue. It's not a pure medical issue. Sometimes the solution is a mix of many, many different things. And it's always exciting to see different specialties sort of come together. But I guess back to the original question, uh, what are the possible causes of, of you know, inappropriate reinvenation? Um, it, it, it tends to be a little bit sadder. <laughs> yeah. no. You know, um, I think on, on the lighter, you know, the less serious side of things, it would be things like urinary tract infections, could be things like bladder stones, all of which are, are fairly treatable. Um, but I think, you know, similar to the, the scenario that you had brought up, which is, you know, a three-year-old chihuahua who's never done these things before, suddenly displaying new, new unwanted behavior. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really where um, we might be a little bit more worried, that it could be something that's more systemic. So when I say systemic issues, it could be anything from diabetes. So yes, dogs get diabetes too, just like us humans. Or it could be other types of endocrine issues that result in the dog um, having, you know, increased water intake and urination. Um, it's actually quite sad, the number of pet owners who equate inappropriate urination to pure inappropriate water intake. And we've mm. heard horror cases where pet owners just restrict water what intake the, for yeah. their pets uh, instead of, you know, actually seeking out the problem. And, you know, I've always felt that or at least one of our hopes with an online video consult is that if you're not sure, just ask, yeah. you know, and, and um, yes, you can Google. But at the end of the day, that the, the difficulty with Googling is that you don't really have a definitive answer. And, and what we hope with a video consult is that you can actually speak, at least speak to a professional yeah. who can run through the possibilities, guide you on what might be an appropriate mode for investigation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, especially in cases of older dogs, um, it could be a whole myriad of different reasons why. Um, some treatable, some fixable with medication, uh, some not so fixable, in which case then, you know, it's about management and how you either, you know, learn to take them down to urinate and clear their bladder a little bit more often, um, things like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think um, urination is, inappropriate urination is a complex problem. Yeah. And mm -hmm. one of the 
issues with like googling symptoms mm. like because we do it for ourselves right if it's nothing too serious like oh i have a sore throat i have a migraine i'm just going to google that into webmd or whatever <laughs> we 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 see it and we understand it but that's because we know the exact symptoms or more or less the exact symptoms we have with our dogs we're guessing the symptoms that they have yeah so it, it gets more dangerous there and mm. and google is out there to scare you <laughs> like for whatever result you get is always the scariest thing possible they always look at the worst case scenario Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to the next scenario. Mm -hmm. We've got a dog here, let's call them a Labrador, and they're excessively barking, but the owner hasn't been able to trigger, the owner hasn't been able to identify the trigger, and they're at their wet's end, and quite frankly, the owner's just a bit peeved off at all. So, from a behavioural standpoint and from a training standpoint, what could be doing, what could be happening in this scenario? Right, right. So excessive barking is, there's a lot of possible reasons for excessive barking. So the few that I would like to list out is your attention seeking, your dog might be bored, they might be territorial, they might be scared, or one of the more common ones would be separation anxiety. If you leave the house, your dog feels I mean, I, I don't want to say lonely because that's anthropomorphizing, <laughs> putting our emotions on them, but then you get the idea. Um, there's also excited barking, and then there's habitual barking or socially learned barking. Mm -hmm. So uh, to figure out which one it is, of course, you, you need to do a consult, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, even if you send me like 10 minutes of your dog barking, it's, it's still a bit more difficult to pinpoint what's the exact cause of it. So the one thing that people do need to understand is when you're dealing with a behavioural aspect, similarly to from a medical side, you're not just looking at the obvious symptoms that people are listing. You're looking at the environment around them. You're looking at the, the situation within the household, the treatment that's being given, the, the training style that can have a lot to do with it as well. Um, all of these things need to be brought into account. And yes, also, nutrition is something we ask about so we know whether we need to refer. And also medical. Does, has your dog hurt themselves in the past? Have you gone any ridiculously long hikes recently? All of these things are, are, are stuff that we need to take into account so that we can correctly identify what the root cause of any situation, but in this case, the excessive barking is. So then we would need to address that situation and doing things like that online is very achievable. So we do have things such as removing the motivation. So if we know what the motivation is, it's fairly easy to remove it. Um, I had one client a few years ago and uh, they had a beagle and the beagle was just going absolutely mental out the window continuously. And uh, they said, what can we do about this? So I gave them the options and they said, what would be the easiest option? And I said, well, extinction would be the easiest option. They said, how do we do that? Remove the stimulus for a period of three to six months. And when the stimulus comes back, generally it has become an, an extinct behavior. Now this doesn't work every single time. It's also why I don't advise it for every single situation. Because normally when you say, this could take six months, people are like, yeah, that's too long. But these guys, that was suitable for them. So all they did was they got some of the heavy tint film and put it along the bottom of their windows in their apartment. The beagle's not that big. It can't see over the tint. So it meant that the beagle was no longer barking outside the window. Four months later, they got back in touch and said, he stopped completely, that's great. I advise him to keep it up for another few months before removing it and they did so and it was absolutely fine. There was no reason for me to go down to have that consultation if that's what they were wanting to do. However, it's important to understand that that's because that dog was being triggered by stimulus outside the window from an alert barking place. So that's when he was barking at squirrels, chickens, other dogs, things like that. It was excitement driven. If you're looking at things like separation anxiety, that's a little bit more intense and that's where you've got to go into more exercise driven 
aspects, which Jay will tell you about now. You don't just extinct the, the separation? <laughs> well, you, you could, but then you'd be working from home for a long time. <laughs> uh, just to add on to um, what Frazier was saying about the uh, removing of the motivation, I had a client who uh, was similar to that, but it was a Singapore special. The, the dog would bark out the window, so every time that somebody passed by, anyone at all. And then we talked about it and I told them what to do about it, similar to what you said. They didn't get a film, they, I just said that if your dog started barking, just close the windows, uh, pull, the, pull the blinds, very simple. That's what I did with Blue. But instead of doing that, they, they did that for the first few days, and then after that, what they got was like a little day bit, so that the dog could sit by the window and look out the window. <laughs> and then they came and told me like the barking got worse after doing the exercises. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so that's a very good point, is that when the environment changes, even during the, rehabil the behavioral rehabilitation process or training, there's certain elements, like, like obvious things like that, yeah. which will change the behavior more in the opposite direction yeah. than what you're actually working on to improve it. Exactly, yeah. It's counterproductive, you know, right? So it, It's like when people say, oh, my dog's anxious about noise. Then we start doing the exercises with uh, counter conditioning and whatnot. But at the same time, the next door neighbor starts renovations. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much counter conditioning you're going to be working on. That's not going to be enough. It's not ideal for, for any dog. So one thing that we do a lot of is your desensitization and counter conditioning. So by, by doing that, we are actually just slowly exposing your dog to whatever trigger they have, but at the lowest level of stimulus so that your dog notices the trigger, but doesn't re overreact or react too negatively. Like if your dog doesn't like bicycles, you put a bicycle at a hundred meters away. If, if your dog sees it, you just offer them a piece of treat for that, for not reacting. So you're, you're literally rewarding your dog for doing nothing. But in their heads, it's like every time they see a bicycle, they get a piece of treat. And if the bicycle gets closer, they still get a piece of treat for not reacting. Eventually, your dog will see a bicycle on a walk and then just turn and look at you waiting for a reward. Mm. You just got to be on top of things to be able to do that. And for anybody that's a little bit geeky, the reason it's called counter conditioning is because the reward of the food or play or affection increases the dopamine in the dog's brain, which is counter conditioning the cortisone which is rising during the trigger and because you're controlling that trigger you're able to counter condition or desensitize that far more effectively than you would do if you're just doing it in a real life environment and that's why it's called counter conditioning very cool so sorry for going off on a wee tangent there but let's look at the medical potentials for excessive barking because this is a big one that people always automatically assume is behavioural. Mm. But barking is just part of communication and they're not always going to be communicating something which is a behavioural issue. That's true. I mean, uh, I think, you know, one of the most common reasons why a dog might bark excessively is probably because it's uncomfortable. You know, and I think there could be a whole myriad of reasons, whether it's, you know, arthritis in an older dog, uh, if there's, you know, dental problems, mm. tummy is not feeling well. I guess some dogs might bark, some dogs might snap. Um, but, you know, for an animal who might not be able to communicate effectively, sometimes barking could be, a, you know, the only way or the best way of getting your attention and trying to indicate that they're, that they're uncomfortable. Yeah. I think um, some of the other reasons why um, dogs might bark uh, excessively could also be because they're scared. So this could be because they can't hear you well, or they can't see you very well. Mm. I don't know. I think people forget sometimes that mm. dogs do get old, <laughs> yeah. and they do have some of these problems as well. Um, One of the big problems that we find with older dogs is uh, the natural thing of cognitive decline. Yeah. Yes. And people get upset that their dogs are not able to perform the same tasks and the same behaviours that they once did. But you wouldn't ask your... 80-year-old grandma to do what she used to do when she was 30 or 40. And people forget that the ageing process for dogs is a lot quicker than that of humans. And it's a heartbreaking reality, but it's, but it's a reality. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so true. It's, you know, coming from the medical, the human medical side of things, I think what I thought was very interesting is that, you know, our 
our canine, feline companions go through a lot of similar things that we as humans do. Um, we just don't always make the obvious connection. So even things like dementia, mm. you know, dogs can also get their, their, their own version of that as well. Um, you know, usual vision, vision loss because of cataracts, um, hearing loss, etc. Even things like hormonal imbalances, you know, we, we act up, you know, and in the same way, um, pets can also act up as well, where there are things like thyroid imbalances, they don't feel good, they don't feel well, and that could, you know, result in um, reasons why they might, quote unquote, misbehave when it's not really necessarily their fault at all. Yeah. So just on that, that's a very good aspect to talk about because although behavioural problems are arising, the root cause of those behaviours are not psychological, so it's not something that you would modify through behavioural training, especially if it's hormonal. Now, hormonal's a big one, and I'm sure you'll uh, back me up here when I say <laughs> that, that uh, this is very, very similar in humans. If your nutrition is subpar, your hormones are affected and you can become imbalanced and that can change your mood. It can change your reactions, um, your reaction speed, but also your actual reactions to things itself. And the same thing can happen with age. The same thing can happen with many, many different aspects where balances in hormones or discomfort from nutrition all becomes an issue and it manifests as a behavioural problem, but actually it needs to be addressed by somebody else that's either medically trained or nutritionally trained, which again is something that we can deal with online. You'll notice a lot of the aspects we're speaking about here are exercises, environmental changes, all of that kind of thing that can be explained, demonstrated and shown in an online platform. However, that doesn't mean that everything can be related to an online platform. Um, just, uh, just a reminder to people who have dogs who bark a lot, they can strain their voices, their throats. Yeah, soft yeah, yeah, dogs do get that, so just remember to seek help if you have. And you dog. don't want your dog to sound like me. <laughs> well, I guess it's similar in people as well. You know, you have those nights where you've been um, screaming rather than singing karaoke. Yeah, yeah. And, and That's the, the only way day. I know how to do it. <laughs> and the next day, you know, you, you don't quite sound like yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally get asked fairly regularly by like taxi drivers and people like that, say, no, did you have a hard night of karaoke? <laughs> For the record, everybody, my voice is husky because of a tracheostomy. <laughs> I don't have a karaoke problem. <laughs> I'm not addicted to karaoke. <laughs> anyway. What we want to be talking about now is the limitations of online consultations because as much as we want people to take advantage of this service, we've got to be realistic. There's certain aspects that cannot be addressed online. More than likely we'd be able to do an initial consult on the issue. But once we understand what the actual issue is, there's certain aspects that would need to be performed in person whether that be at a clinic or at a training environment or in the dog's own home with somebody who's trained and equipped to do the exercises that are needed. Because sometimes it is dangerous. A great example of that is extreme resource guarding. I wouldn't want to just talk about how to do exercises to reduce extreme food guarding with somebody that has a dog that's really going for you if you even get close to food. I would want to actually work on that for a good couple of sessions with that dog before handing that exercise over to the owner. Because the last thing I would want to do is, number one, put the owner in a situation where they could get bitten, or number two, put the dog in a position where they're going to fail and then we're going to get regression from a place before we've even started. So that's just one example of that. Um, and that comes through to many different standpoints, but I'll let, Jay, I'll let you talk a bit more of it because people are going to get sick of me again. <laughs> <laughs> so the limitations of a lot of online consultations that we do with our clients is, as Fraser mentioned, um, one of the good things I can say is that 
some people have clients uh, some people have have dogs that are so reactive that you might want to actually do an online consultation actually yeah mm. so keep that in mind as well well that goes both ways though yeah because it depends on the reactivity if the reactivity is towards the owner we would want to be there in person because we don't want to put them into a difficult situation. Yes, and I, I would prefer to have myself mm -hmm. in a potentially compromised situation. We know what to do. Yeah. Uh, we know how to and react. Reading a dog's body language, it doesn't matter how many documents you read, yeah. how much textbooks you study, mm -hmm. it takes years of working with them to get actually any good at it. Yeah. And it's the same with a lot of things. Every couple of years I look back on what I was doing two, three years ago and I think, man, I didn't know nearly as much as I do now. And I can only imagine that that continues with a lot of things. Yeah. As long as you're studying the correct materials, I'm just going to put that out there. If you're studying the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. Yeah. Also, it's a lot of, of clients, especially for some clients, they, they want us to really come down for an initial consult, which we're fine to do because they feel like they have to show us in person what the dog's issue is. Mm. Yeah, and I, I say this with 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 all the good in my heart is that <laughs> no matter what, I, I believe you when you yeah. tell me that your dog's reactive to other dogs or to people or to whatever issues that you have. I completely behave you. I don't need to see it. I've seen it a thousand times over. But it's the number of times you get people saying, "Can we meet in the dog run?" And yeah. then I'll say. No. <laughs> Your dog's dog aggressive. Yeah. That's what you said. And they're like, yes, but we want to show you. And I'm like, and how do you expect me to help the dog when they're already completely overwhelmed? Yeah. yeah. They, so basically what, what these people are unknowingly doing is that they're setting their dog up for failure. So yeah. that's why you can't proceed forward. You can't, you can't pro get any progress with it. But now, it's important to point out there, though, is that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So when you say that it's unknowingly, that's a very important point because I hate to hear people bitching and moaning about clients that you're supposed to be coaching. You know, so like you get that in the gym a lot. You get PTs complaining about their clients saying, oh, they, do, they didn't know this. And I'm like, do they know it now? So that's why it's very important for us as coaches as well to help out with our clients where they see fit. So. I'll just move on onto the limitations that we were talking about. One of it would be severe aggression. Of course, you won't be able to help your dog with severe aggression cases just from an online consultation. And I think that goes without saying, so people should already know that. Things like severe separation anxiety as well. While normal separation anxiety, we could, um, since we're partnering with ZoomVet, we would probably ask for a vet's opinion about prescribing them anti-anxiety medication so that they would calm down quicker and then we can work on more of these exercises with a higher success rate. Things like extreme fear or phobia, where the dog is so scared that it becomes catatonic or it actually hurts itself while it's trying to get away from potential triggers. That is one of it as well. Um, Multi-pet household conflicts, uh, that's one that I've had a lot of experience in because both of my dogs sent each other to the vet. Oh man! Yeah, really bad ones. Like, they had to get sutures because my other one, um, Blue's right here with us now, Ori's at home. Ori had uh, her ear almost ripped off by Blue. Oof. Yeah, then they had to s stitch everything back. Blue has a huge puncture on her muzzle. But mm -hmm. I think it's covered right now, but if you actually take if you actually go and investigate, you can see that there's like an indent yeah. on her mouth. So yeah, things like that, you can't just expect online consultation to solve all of your issues. So look at that. <laughs> well, but I also think that sometimes why pet owners are almost like, hey Jay, I need you to see how aggressive my dog is. I yeah. think sometimes it's so aggressive, like in your case where, you know, the it ear was, was almost ripped off, the muzzle was punctured, where they're like, you don't, I can't, I don't think you can believe just how aggressive my dog is. And it's almost a CCC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, please it come and take a look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but actually going back to, you know, what you mentioned, I think actually a lot of that resonates with me as a medical professional. Because if you think about it, you know, um, when when we, we as humans have anxiety issues, we have, you know, difficulties with um, depression, etc. A lot of times it's, it's a combination of things. Um, we might... Go to the doctor. 
we might go to the doctor perhaps to get medications to help us out. But at the same time, there are also exercises that you work on, you know, and, and the idea is that maybe the medications might help you a little bit at the mm -hmm. start, um, you know, just to calm you down, just so that you can actually focus on the exercises. Um, and later on, the idea is that you can tear down the medications, yep. the exercises take over. Um, yeah, and it's always, I guess, in a way, a marriage between, you know, multiple modalities to help yes. your pet. Yeah. For sure. So I think just before we wrap up, there's one more point that I did want to mention, but I'm not going to go too deep into it because quite frankly, there could be a full podcast episode on this, which we might actually do at some stage. Medication for behavioral issues. This is a very, very heated discussion within the training community. Effectively, I'm just going to give a very quick opinion and then we can discuss it at a later time in detail. The medication is not a fix. It's just an aid to the behavioral modification. It doesn't make you any lazier. It's not something that can be used as a quick fix. Or a long-term fix. Or a long-term fix, for sure. It's something that must be used appropriately under the guidance of not just your medical veterinarian, but also your behavioural specialist as well. One of the big problems I notice is a lot of vets will willy-nilly prescribe <laughs> the medication, but they're not contacting the behavioural specialists or even checking yeah. if somebody's working with one. So that's where I sort of have my uh, opinion on it. But again, it's a very heated topic, so I don't yeah. even want to get into it, but it is something we'll talk about at some point. Okay, so for everybody listening right now, keep in mind not just everything we spoke about, but what these services actually mean. It means that instead of taking your terrified pet to the vets, you can then do this from the comfort of your own home, and many, many problems, whether they be medical, nutritional or behavioural, can be sorted out through online consultations and from the comfort of your home. Which helps a lot because a lot of our clients were like, um, we always recommend our clients to get a, a, like a proper health checkup for their dog before we approach um, any issues from a behavioural point of view. And now that Previously, it was like, oh, maybe you stayed in the West. So I have to think of a, a vet that's in the West that, that would be, you know, fear-free or good with particular issues. But now we can just say, oh, yeah, you can just do an online consultation. Yeah. Zoom vet. Yeah. One thing to mention as well, you maybe were about to mention this, but ZoomVet also have a physical clinic. So if you are required to go in to a clinic from that online consultation, of course, I'm sure they're going to bring you in for that. Yes. Not to take the words out of your mouth. <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, I wanted to say that, you know, um, with, with this online consult, um, there's also another side that I see a huge benefit in having you guys online. Um, so, you know, at the clinic, we definitely do get cases where pet owners come in and say, my dog is anxious. Every time we travel, we go in the car, he gets aggressive. Can we have medications to bring him into the clinic? That kind of thing. Um, but, you know, when, when, when our veterinarians talk about training and behavioral modification, I think sometimes going back to what you've mentioned, right, Fraser, where maybe pet owners don't have the experience or they've got incomplete training with their dogs, um, sometimes you can't see the other side of the reality. So you can't see how, you know, my dog could improve from the situation. I've been just doping my dog <laughs> before I take him on a trip and, and that's just how it's always worked, you know, and, and um, with pushing our clients to taking, you know, speaking to a specialist about their pet's issues. Um, I think the huge hurdle is that if they, if they don't really buy into the idea, mm -hmm. why would they want to travel physically down just to speak to someone about this issue? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm also hopeful that by providing noble canine services online, it's a little bit more accessible. You know, what, what is the harm in, in turning on your laptop, setting a time to speak to someone and just seeing, just exploring. Um, and a lot of times what we find is that, you know, with proper education, proper information, you know, the right context, um, that's when pet owners uh, might, might have their eyes open to an alternative way of, of you know, managing an issue at hand. Yeah, absolutely. 
For everybody listening that's interested in this, I encourage you to download the ZumVet app. You can find out more about the specific services which are offered there. And if you have any questions at all, I'm sure that you can ask on the app. Or if you would prefer, you can put your comments into the Wagging Tails Facebook page, which will be given on the show notes of this episode. Before we go, I just want to remind everybody that every single Wednesday at 8pm Singapore time, Noble Canine do an Ask Me Anything session on Facebook. We do all questions with regards to dog training and behaviour. And when we have the appropriate guests, we also will have questions such as medical care, health, physiotherapy, nutrition, and all these other aspects that people may need. So please follow the Noble Canine Facebook page and join us on Wednesday at 8pm Singapore time so that you can get the answers to your questions in real time. Once again, a big thank you to you, Grace, for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge with us. Do you have any final thoughts before we call it a day? Um, no, just that I'm very, very excited <laughs> to finally be working with, um, or at least finally officially have, you know, a canine behaviorist on, on the platform. Um, I think with ZoomVet, we wanted to be able to help animals. And I think a big important part is, you know, when you help animals, it's not just medical. It's, it's everything, it's holistic, you know, it's nutrition, it's training. Um, and one of the saddest things is if an animal loses its home because of something that could have completely been, you know, avoided. So yeah, very excited to have the Noble Canine team um, working with us. Very good final thoughts there. <laughs> so just as a reminder for everybody, on the show notes, we are going to be having the ZumVet social media links, their website, the Wagging Tail podcast links, our Facebook page, and the Noble Canine Facebook page as well. And if you go onto the Noble Canine website and use the coupon code WAGGING, W-A-G-G-I-N-G, in all capital letters, you will get a 5% discount in any of our in-person or online services. So take advantage of that, and we will see you at the next episode of the Wagging Tail Podcast. Bye. Bye.